We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Hi, this is Meeting of Minds podcast with Jerry Boyer. My guest today is Rob West. Rob is the CEO of Kingdom Advisors. He's also the host of Money Wise uh, radio program, which runs on 1,900 stations uh, in Moody and in American Family Radio. But um, I'm kind of interested in Rob as the CEO of the largest professional association of Christian financial professionals, because this puts him in touch with the best thinking in the Christian world about finance. And that's what Kingdom Advisors is. And Kingdom Advisors isn't just advisors. Is that right, Rob? Uh, that's right. Yeah. So as a part of the what we would call the Christian financial industry, we would see the kind of advisor at the center of that. But there's uh, really a whole host of stakeholders around that. We're engaged with universities that are training the next generation of kingdom advisors. We're engaged with large firms, wirehouses and large RIAs that are creating communities inside their firms to support advisors and investment companies that are creating uh, investment product that align with the values and priorities of Christians. So there's a whole host of uh, you know folks around the advisor, including the public, the Christian in the pew who says, you know what, I want to follow God's heart as it relates to my money and the worldview and training of my advisor matters. And so I want an advisor who shares my values. All right. Um, and I think there's also financial planners in that mix um, and uh, accountants, uh, oh, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So among the practitioners, there would be financial planners, investment advisors, uh, and investment professionals, uh, those who specialize in insurance, um, accountants, and uh, also estate attorneys. And the occasional economist. Um, <laughs> just, just, just a few. Um, all right. So, yeah, that this is this is where the conversation is happening. Now, I'm not sure that that's an intra-industry conversation. So, there's treasures in there. Um, we we want to kind of break open those treasures because there's conversations going on among Christian financial professionals right now. And you like to talk about live, give, owe, grow, et cetera, as ways, the, ways of bucketing the different conversations that um, have to do with applying the Bible to money. Um, and I'm right now I'm interested in sort of the more advanced topics, the things that you're thinking about and you're hearing from the top minds in the industry that Christians need to to need to hear about. So why don't we kind of go through those categories? You've got kind of a nice way of organizing them, a shelving sure. for them. Go through those categories and talk about the best stuff, the, the treasures that are hidden inside. Let's bring them out so that other people can hear them. I'd be delighted to, Jerry. And I think the starting point when we have the money conversation, even before live, give, owe, and grow, a way to order or think about uh, our finances is really the why, uh, which is you know, just this idea that God owns it all, uh, which is not just an idea. It's the idea, right? It's the starting point, because if we recognize the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, then it puts me in the role of steward or manager of the King of Kings resources. That's a high calling. And that really changes the way I approach my money, which is now a tool to accomplish God's purposes 
And then what we quickly realize is that this money conversation is not really about the money. It's about everything beneath it, right? The money and how we handle it is the iceberg poking through the water. Mm. But underneath that are the values and the priorities that drive that. And this idea that Jesus said clearly in Scripture that, uh, you know, our heart follows our money. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so when we recognize that, Jerry, it really brings us to a a fundamentally different starting point as we think about God's resources and our role then as manager of those resources as a steward reflecting the heart of the master. So I think that's the beginning point. It's really a a kind of a depth surgery. Uh, N.T. Wright once uh, told me a story. It was fascinating about a counseling situation where there was a man undergoing counseling. And um, he, uh, he had talked about all of his life, his sexual, you know, while I was in college, I tried this and then I got married and then I, you know, I did went to this club and I had this affair and then here's my second marriage and we a whole bunch of sex stuff, everything he had ever thought about and ever, ever, ever done. And then after about a year of counseling, um, he asked, oh, by the way, how much money do you make? And the man said, well, that's, isn't that kind of a personal question? <laughs> And it, it, it really is a personal question, yes. more than his sexual adventure. See, it's, it's more hidden than his sexual wanderings, uh, you know, because it, was, well, because it was his identity. Yeah, that's right. And that's the role that these advisors that we serve sit in, which is they're having conversations that their prospects and clients wouldn't have with their best friend, their, uh, in some cases, unfortunately, their spouse or their pastor, uh, right? And so this is an opportunity to get these things out on the table, demystify them, but then get underneath the surface to really what the drivers are. And I think that changes the conversation. Yeah. And I think we live in a time of financial anxiety, probably one of the greatest times ever in the history of the United States, even in many ways greater than the Great Depression. Uh, because the Great Depression, the bad thing was happening. We were going through it. There wasn't much anxiety. It's just pain. Yes. Now there's fear. Yes. You know, will I lose it? Will it go away? What will happen? All right. So let's go through your categories yeah. and tell me what kind of what you're, what you're thinking in each of them. Yeah. Well, I think as we look at the live category, we realize, uh, you know, our lifestyle is really the primary determinant of uh how I can pursue my values, ultimately what I can commit to eternity. Um, It's going to drive debt decisions and it's, you know, margin is always the answer. Uh, More is never the answer. And I think the conversation that I'm excited about that's happening around lifestyle choices is really this growing movement of people who are willing to ask the question, how much is enough? What is my financial finish line? both for lifestyle as well as accumulation. And we'll get to that in a moment. But how do I set my financial lifestyle? What is the appropriate amount for a Christian? Uh, Is it okay to live in the $2 million home? How much you know, should I spend on that car that I'm driving? And how do I make those decisions? And how much is enough for me? And, you know, as we wrestle through those, those questions, it causes us to go back to say, Lord, why have you entrusted this to me? And yes, I'm to provide and yes, I'm to enjoy. And we clearly see both of those in scripture. But I think being invited into God's generosity story is maybe a bigger idea here that often gets missed. And because our level of spending will always rise to our level of income unless we protest to the contrary, we often miss that opportunity unless we get ahead of it and say, I'm going to to, with intentionality 
ask the hard questions about how much is enough. Mm, interesting. So I guess before the question, how much is enough, is the question, how do I know how much is enough? How would I answer that question? And I think we can safely eliminate the people who are in my social set or I went to college with. <laughs> that's my norm. Right. Right. right? That, that's my set point. Um, and essentially an envy, covet, imitation model. There's got to be something else. And you're saying it's essentially the glory of God and the building up and the focus on his kingdom. That's Um, exactly right. And there's folks who have have attempted to answer that question. Uh, You may have talked over the years to John Cortinez and Greg Greg Balmer, who wrote the book God and Money, who really took a, a thoughtful approach to trying to define enough looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs and the average income and thinking about multiples of that. And, uh, you know, I think there's any number of ways that we can do that. Uh, But I think ultimately it causes us to go back to our knees and to say, Lord, what have you called me to with what you've entrusted to me? What's the appropriate lifestyle for me or as a married couple for us? What is it you're doing our lives? Let's not allow the culture to define us, but let's pursue your best uh, with what you've given us. And now we want to come to that decision after much prayer and thoughtful right. planning and then live and orient our lives in that way. And it, this isn't an easy question. We just had an article um, run in Christian Post by my friend Mark Horn. who wrote a great commentary on Proverbs. And he's asking, can I, get, can I buy my kids braces mm. um, when there's poor people, poor Christians in the world? And he's wrestling with it. And yeah. that's good that he's wrestling with that, right? Yes. Um, I, I don't have an answer. I'm not going to say what the right answer is. But, you know, if we're not asking that question, I don't think we're thinking deeply about about, uh, about fi- Christian or biblical finance. If we're just assuming middle-class lifestyle is a gimme, the poor get the leftovers, then I think we're really not properly aligned. I think that's right. And I think we need to be careful of slipping in uh, to the tendency toward greed. Uh, that happens here. You know, you and I have talked about before this idea that uh, we tend to redeem greed or attempt to in the name of the American dream. And if we allow the culture to define what the appropriate lifestyle is, we're going to slip into that tendency. And uh, that's why pastor and author Dr. Tim Keller says he's had every sin in the world confessed in his office, save one, and that was greed. And it's because uh, it's one that we often fail to identify or recognize in our lives. And so we've got to go back and be honest about it. Yeah, it's too personal a question. All right, let's go on to another category. Um, you, so we have live, give, and we've you've already kind of gotten into give, but anything that you're seeing there that um, you're learning in the industry, hearing the best minds, and you want to share with people outside that financial professional conversation? Yeah. You know, I think at the starting point, Jerry, it's this idea that giving breaks the power of money over our lives. Mm-hmm. And you know, we've got to, I think, begin to think through that and understand the implications of that. Yes, we give because we were created in the image of the ultimate giver, and we're most like him when we're giving. And we experience his joy and his pleasure because it's an act of worship and an act of obedience. But how intentional are we being in that? You know, have we surrounded ourselves with relationships that are going to spur us on to greater giving? Uh, What is our kingdom vision? Uh, What's God's heart for the world? And have I asked him to show me how to participate with him? Because we'll never outgive our vision for our giving. Uh, Do we have a plan that allows us to lean into that in such a way that gets past just the cash giving 
and into the balance sheet giving, because that's really where our greatest potential is. You know, 90% of giving happens in the form of cash. The problem is only 10% of our wealth is held in the form of cash. So without planning and intentionality, we're missing our greatest potential for generosity. And there's some pretty nice tax advantages. Not, yes. that, not that that ought to drive everything. There's some pretty nice tax advantages to the non-cash giving, especially after a long bull market. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. So we've got to, I think, think about that. And then uh, that really leads us into, uh, you know, the question, is the next steward chosen and prepared? Ron Blue, uh, my mentor and and uh, the popular author taught us that, you know, we have to recognize that we're passing spiritual character and financial capital. And I think one of the ideas we need to wrestle with that folks are starting to think about more often is, uh, you know, is an inheritance going to ruin my child? And perhaps could a better stewardship decision, depending upon the situation, uh, be to give it away? Uh, You know, where are they at in their spiritual journey? What decisions are they making? And is the idea that I would just take the, you know, after-tax estate and decide it three ways among the three kids always the best choice as I think about what's ultimately most important. And that is that my kids have uh, come to a saving knowledge of Jesus and then have a growing and thriving. I had a a financial professional at a conference recently, not your conference, not as good as your conference, but still it was a conference. um, (laughs) Talk to me about the problem of his clients always want to give money away to the kids. And he said, he told me after the conference about this one in particular, and the wife says, the Bible says it has to go to the children. And the daughter is essentially a non-in-recovery drug addict or serial drug addict recovery in and out of rehab constantly. And he's saying, what's going to happen if you if you drop $150,000, $200,000 on her? Yes. You know, he didn't, he can't say it, but you're going to, you're going to get a dead daughter, right? Um, so you have to think about that. Uh, our friend Jim Wise, our, our mutual friend yes. Jim Wise wrote a book about this called Inheritology. Now, this conversation frustrates me a little bit because I think the biblical assumption is inheritance, but I think the biblical assumption is a legacy has been passed on. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot in Proverbs about, and about including financial inheritance, and there's land inheritance, and that's addressed, you know, in Torah. But what happens if you have a so, so? What happens if we have an atomized culture where the children are alienated from the parents, and vice versa? At that point, do you still hand on the financial legacy? If you haven't handed on the moral legacy, probably yes. not. Yeah, that's right. And I'm not saying by any means that we shouldn't be thinking about a financial inheritance for our kids. But have we stopped to ask the question? You know, have we paused long enough to say, what are the potential implications? Is the next steward, I think, going back to that question, not only chosen, but are they prepared? And that would go to what you were saying, Jerry, about the legacy and where are they at spiritually and what decisions are they making and what are the possible outcomes of dropping this money in the kids' laps? Have we considered that? And if not, perhaps we should. Well, look at God's example, right? He, he Did his inheritance go to the firstborn son? The firstborn son was Adam. Hmm. He, he was apostate. He didn't inherit the earth. Instead, he was weakened because power would have made things worse. Eternal life was taken away from him, the earth, all the rest of it. But the second son, the, the second Adam, he was worthy. So yes. he inherits. So um, inheritance is contingent upon faithfulness and worthiness. Not worthiness of love, but worthiness of handling the responsibility. Uh, inheritance is just another form of succession. So mm. you wouldn't hand over control of your company to someone just because they had your last name. 
Well, yes. why would you hand over all the wealth that's generated from that? Yeah, it, uh, the, it has to go to somebody who can handle it, who yes. will be a steward of it. And that's uh, that's an important conversation. And you're right. And I, I this is some, this is a difficult conversation. This is really, really gets to the heart. And I think a lot of times, you can tell me, I think a lot of times it is parents who have, uh, say, the father put a lot of time and energy into the career, mm. handed the children off to be raised by the institutions. Mm. You know, the you know, high school, um, college, the best college they can get into, even if it was contrary to their worldview. Yeah. And then they feel guilty and they're assuaging the guilt with the money mm. when the money just is another form of guilt. You're empowering the, you know, them to go in the direction that they shouldn't have gone in, in the first place. Mm. I mean, that's a little that's a that's a that's a painful conversation. I don't I, I'll give you a chance to react to that if you like. Well, it is a painful conversation, and it's one we uh, often are just, it's a lot easier just to kind of push it to the side and just go with the, the typical approach in terms of uh, how we would think about retirement in this or uh, inheritance in this country. And uh, we need to be willing to engage in those painful conversations because the outcome and what's at stake is too important not to. Interesting. This is where a Christian financial professional really helps, someone who will, is willing to have that tough conversation. Okay, next right. category. What uh, what yeah, do you think? So I think live, give, owe, um, you know, as we think about owing, <laughs> uh, we realize that debt mortgage is the future, and it also changes the relationship. And I'm talking to more and more people uh, who have just had uh, incredible damage to relationships in families as a result of debt and co-signing. And I think that's why mm. the Bible is so clear on this particular topic. It says, just don't do it <laughs> uh, because debt changes the relationship. Uh, the borrower's slave to the lender. And when we put that into the family relationship, it wreaks havoc. And so I think we've got to recognize that uh, well ahead of uh, getting to a place where we allow that to happen. I think I've mentioned to you with it when the, the woman said to God, the serpent, he bewildered me, mm-hmm. you know, he shawnee me, same root word as debt, the serpent, mm-hmm. he indebted me. It, in, in biblical Hebrew, the word to bewilder, deceive, or in debt are all the same root word. Mm-hmm. So there's a kind of, ins- and we were, ins- we enslaved ourselves to him yeah. Um, yeah. in that debt relationship. So the idea isn't just that debt is painful, like you don't want to be like macabre going off to prison, but debt decreases the degrees of freedom when it comes to serving the Lord. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of serve the Lord by enduring the suffering with patience, but isn't it better? Paul says, if you can get your freedom, get it. Not just because it'll feel better, but because you can go out and serve God with, you'll have more degrees of freedom to follow God's leading. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because if something is going to not to deny us the opportunity to follow the leading of the Lord, it's most often in our culture going to be uh, that we're enslaved to debt. And so we have a loss of freedom because uh, we have an obligation. And you know, we're frankly presuming upon the future, whether we're a family borrowing or a nation borrowing, mm-hmm. we're presuming upon the future. And just a little aside here, I know that Christians think that there really isn't a lot of biblical material about debt. Jesus is speaking about debt a lot. I talk about this in my book, actually warning about the accumulation of debt by Israel, national debt by Israel, non-forgiveness of debt. And debt is what ends up triggering the revolt, which destroys the nation. Mm-hmm. Jerusalem was destroyed in a, in a series of violent events that occurred with a debt crisis, a mm-hmm. debt crisis that Jesus had warned them about in 33 AD. 
Um, so that might sound odd to people. Okay, go read the book. It's sold out, but the paperback's coming out soon. Um, and there's a detailed case for that. Anyway, back to what Rob West thinks about things. Okay, so uh, another category. Yeah, so live, give, owe, and grow. grow. So how do we think about accumulation uh, in the short term and the long term? And I think, again, this comes back to the question, how much is enough? It's not just the mindless accumulation of wealth, but uh, to what end and how much is the appropriate amount and where is that finish line? And this, I, and then this idea that we need to have financial margin, that that really is the key uh, to being able to live successful lives. And unfortunately, uh, you know, we think more is the answer, but really margin is not more. Interesting. So again, maybe you don't compare yourself to your brother-in-law, but to the other guys down at the uh, golf club you know, what was my return? What I've seen is one of the things that actually hurts investment decisions the most is when people compare themselves to other people's investment returns, which means they follow what just went up and run away from what just went down. It makes them, even if you want the highest return, covetousness is bad for return. So the fascinating thing about greed is greed makes you poorer. Um, yeah. and financially and obviously emotionally and spiritually. Okay, Rob, anything else you want to leave us with? Maybe something that's not in any of your categories. I, w- I mean, there you are every day. You're dealing with ordinary Christians. You know, all, you're taking calls all the time and offline questions. Many not financially sophisticated. They don't, you know, they're just babies in, in their financial. And then you're dealing with the top financial, Christian financial minds in the industry. You're talking to guys like Bob Dahl, et cetera, you know, just top of the line thinkers. It's, where is that leading you? What, what what are you hearing? And maybe there isn't anything yet. Maybe you're still synthesizing. But is there something from that conversation, some point of view that you have that you'd like to yeah. share with us before you go? Yeah. Well, I, I think, uh, you know, as we process this, Jerry, and you know, often we can make it more complicated than it is. And so I think the big idea that we have to recognize is just the role in which that we sit and the opportunity we have as managers of God's resources to think about the purpose for the money that we have. And I would go to the parable of the rich fool in Luke 12 and just look at this person who said, I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to take life easy and enjoy it. And he was called a rich fool. And he said, essentially, uh, your soul will be demanded of you. And this is for those who build uh, endlessly his net worth and is not rich toward God. And I think the question we all have to ask is to step back and say, what does that mean? What does it look like to be rich toward God? What does it look like to handle God's resources in such a way that it's apparent that God is our treasure and not our money? And how might that change how we're making decisions on a day-to-day basis? Uh, because if that is our aim and we're looking toward the eternal, not the temporal, the life that is to come, what changes might we make? And if our money is telling a story about what's most important to us, the way we're handling it, are we happy with that story? Mm. Or perhaps are some changes in order? And so I would kind of go back to those fundamental ideas that I think are so often overlooked, Jerry, because when we get that right, at least in terms of our own personal finances, it tends to allow everything else to fall into order. And I would invite, um, I know a lot of people who um, listen to this podcast are financial professionals. They might not be involved with Kingdom Advisors. How do they, you know, go about finding out about getting involved? What, you know, what that would mean? Um, There's membership, there's certification, there's a conference, good conference. You have one or two sketchy speakers um, at the conference, but um, (laughs) 
the, the guy, that guy Boyer, that guy Boyer, a little bit like where's quality control, you know, in, in this situation. Uh, so how does some, if they wanted to look into getting involved, because I think a lot of them feel alone, they're in finance, they're Christians, they don't know how to bring those things together. They don't know that there are actually tens of thousands of others, thousands who are members. How do they get to be part of that conversation and tap into that, that um, support network? Yeah, we'd be delighted to support them. Kingdomadvisors.com is the easiest place. You know, we believe, Jerry, that your career doesn't have to conflict with your Christian values. So that's why we're really advocating and leading the Christian financial industry, which is this movement of professionals that are really just seeking God's glory and client success. So they're trying to grow their practices and yet not have a disconnect between their faith and their practice and really bring that in. And we offer a certification programs that uh, really equips them with the biblical knowledge and expertise they need for greater kingdom impact. So these two things can be brought together. And what we often hear when folks engage with kingdom advisors is they realize their greatest opportunity for ministry is on the other side of the table, Monday through Friday, Hmm. and perhaps they've missed it. And so now they're equipped with confidence to bring advice that aligns with the values and priorities of Christians, which gives them a whole new sense of purpose and meaning in their work. Rob West is the CEO of Kingdom Advisors, which is the network of Christian financial professionals. And he is the host of Money Wise, which is the radio network of Christian finance and Christian financial knowledge for ordinary Christians. Rob, thanks for being with us on Meeting of Minds. Thanks, Jerry. It was my privilege. And ours. 